Savage truth, savage truth, it's the savage Hallelujah. There's no greater name. There's no greater name than Jesus. No greater name than Jesus. When, whenever we have a question, I always, I always ironically say, people are like, oh, I have a question. I'll be like, the answer is Jesus. You got a problem, the answer is Jesus. You have a need, the answer is Jesus. You have priorities, the answer is Jesus. You have desires, the answer is Jesus. You have dreams, the answer should be Jesus. The answer should always be Jesus. If he gave everything for us, that means there shouldn't be a question he can't answer, that his sacrifice can't answer, that God's grace and mercy can't answer. Good morning and greetings from World Victory Church. I'm Pastor Roy Dockery. I want to thank everybody for joining us, those that are here with us in person, as well as those who are joining us virtually. Um, I also want to welcome any first-time visitors that may be popping into the live stream or even into the building on today. We thank you. This is our more express service, so I don't want to labor much. So the first thing I'll do is we're going to jump into the scripture for this morning, and then I'll pray, and then we'll dive right into the word for today. I'm going to be reading from Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. So the interesting thing about God's timing is I wrote, I was supposed to preach on July 24th, but me and my entire family wound up getting COVID, so I didn't come to church that day. Um, but, the, but the irony is, is that for the, the two or the three weeks after that, like the next week, Bishop wound up preaching about tithing. And then we've, we've kind of continued that conversation. So I was like, well, I guess God just needed to move my sermon to a different place in the order because I was reading it yesterday and I was like, man, like this is still really in alignment. So we've been talking about tithing here. My message is not about tithing. Yet I think I referenced three different scriptures that Bishop has used in the last two to three weeks. But I'm um, reading from the New King James Version. Malachi, uh, Malachi 3 verses 10 through 12 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of the ground nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for another opportunity, God. I thank you for the health and wellness, God. I thank you for the air in my lungs, Father. I thank you, God, for bringing us here again today. God, we thank you for the freedom to worship God. We thank you for the freedom to proclaim your word openly, God. We thank you for a sanctuary, God, to be sheltered from the rain and the storms and the thunder, God. We thank you, God, for everything that you put in place that allows us to congregate, that allows us to fellowship, but more than anything, God, allows us to serve your kingdom, God, and allows us to worship your name and your son. 
So God, as I always ask God, please humble me in this moment. God, I pray that you stand up, that your spirit stands up as I sit down, God. I pray that every heart be prepared right now, God, to hear what it is that you will speak to them, God. I pray that everybody receives the message, God, in the context that you would have for them to receive it, God. I would pray that people would respond with action, God, to any conviction that you place upon their heart, God, and that we not just be hearers of the word, God, that we are doers of the word, God, that we're not just emotionally moved, God, that we're moved in our behavior, we're moved in our habits, God, we're moved in our way of thinking to be transformed, to be more like you. So God, we thank you and we love you and it's in the name of your son, Jesus, that I pray, amen and amen. So the scripture Malachi 3.10 is used in so many ways and there is so much that can be unpacked from that small segment of scripture, but I want to take what is a likely and untraditional approach to a very familiar scripture. See, we've all heard this quoted before and after the call for offering and tithes, but I want to focus on a few other points as I build to the foundation of what we will discuss in today's message. See, because first, this scripture is talking about the overall health and wealth of the kingdom community. It's not talking about your finances and your household, right? God said in there that, they may, that there may be food in my house, right? God's talking about his house, not your house. He's talking about his house, right? So that is the overall, because we know that God is not hungry. We know that God does not get thirsty. So if God's telling you to bring food to his house, that's so that there's things in his house, in the storehouse for the benefit of the community, right? So that we can do unto the least of these as if they were Christ, like he called us to do in Matthew 25, 40. So we're, we're, we're understanding that this is not for his consumption, but to make sure that the needs of the least of those are able to be met from his storehouse. Second, this scripture asks us to trust God and to let go of some things with the expectation that our obedience will be rewarded with blessings that we don't have room enough to receive. Because in the scripture, it says, try me. Right? It says, try me. It was like, it's almost like, test me. Like, I'm telling you to do something, try me. And then it, and then it follows up that I, will open up that I will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you will not have room enough to receive. And so the third thing this scripture is telling us as well is that when we are obedient, we will experience an overflow, right? Because there will not be room enough to receive it. So if you don't have room enough to receive it, then the assumption we should, we, the conclusion we should come to is that if I'm blessed with more than I received, then I must be blessed to be a blessing. Because I can't hold it, which means I, it's got to go somewhere. I don't have room to receive it, so I've got to, it's, it's got to overflow to somewhere. I've got to give it to somebody. I've got to bless somebody else because I can't do, I can't use, I can't fit all of the things that God has given me. And the fourth and final point is that when you are walking in obedience, you will be in receipt of the Lord's blessing, and it will be so apparent that you are walking in the favor of God that even people who don't share your faith will have to call you blessed, right? Because in verse 12, it said, all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land. Are people who don't know God calling you blessed? Are you a delightful and fruitful land? Or are you bitter 
closed-minded, and grumpy. It's early, Bucky. I, I, know, I know it's early, Dr. Bucky, but we're we going we to get into it. See, even, and, I, and again, I wrote this like four, four weeks, like a month ago, but right, Bishop was speaking into the series with regard to understanding that as we walk through this year, we were set out to focus on being established, right? And I think that it's crucial in this year that we correct some fundamental gaps in our way of thinking, our behavior, and the actions that result from it, right? Some of our understanding, because, you know, and Bishop keeps talking and all that, getting, get understanding. Some of our understanding is being blocked by culture, by trauma, by systemic barriers, and some of those things are being blocked by ourselves. We are the blocker. So today I want us all to walk away with the, from this message with clear minds, empty hands, and a new focus because the title of this message, and the people in the building can't see it, but anyone who's looked on YouTube or Facebook is that closed hands can't receive new blessings. See, and before anybody starts to think that I've, that I've gone off on a tangent, right, and I've gone all prosperity gospel on everybody, um, let me be clear and say that blessings are not financial and material rewards alone. See, strong relationships are a blessing. Happy marriages are a blessing. Freedom from addiction is a blessing. Gainful employment is a blessing. Access to meaningful education is a blessing. First world medical care is a blessing. Freedom to worship in a public setting is a blessing. My wife is a blessing. My children are blessings. My home is a blessing. Every breath from my lungs is a blessing. In the pause, because I have sarcoidosis and both of my lungs are already damaged. So if I get pneumonia, everyone tells me I would die. So for me to get COVID is a, is a scary experience. And so we do a worship session in our house every other week. And we, we missed our worship session last night because we was fellowshipping with some wonderful friends. But anytime I sing that song, Your Breath in Our Lungs, I can't say it, like I just, I can't say it without almost crying, because I shouldn't be able to breathe. So my, my lung capacity went from 60% to 80%, and then doctors were like, we don't understand it, but even though both of your lungs are scarred, they've corrected themselves, and now you have normal lung capacity. So we don't, so when you talk about singing, when you talk about public speaking, when you talk about rapping, which I did for 20 years, I shouldn't have been able to do it with the reduced lung capacity, but God just kept giving me more air in my lungs. That is a, breathing to me is a blessing. Breathing without distress, breathing without struggle, walking up and down the stairs, running up and down the stairs, like, that's a blessing to me because God is in the blessing business and it's not just about your bank account, right? But too many of us have been conditioned just to survive, and we don't understand how to exist in the abundance of the Lord, right? Because even Paul explains this duality, and he talked about it in Philippians 4, right? Verse, um, Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, and this is from the ESV version, but Paul said, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So now we always hear that, 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 that phrase, Minister Frank, where people be like, I can do all things through, through Christ who strengthens me. But, but people don't normally talk about being low. See, sometimes we're blaming the devil for us being brought low when God could be allowing the circumstances to establish you with a heart that knows how to bless others when abundance comes. See, because Paul said, I know how to function when I have much and when I have little. So that probably meant that Paul would never ball on a budget. Right? Like, Paul stayed on a budget because, like, next week I might be in prison and I'm going to need some bail. So let me not spend this extra money that I have right now. Let me, let me keep a little liquidity in my account. So since I know how to function with what I have low, then when God gives me more, when God pours out the blessings that I can't receive, I'm not building a bigger window. I'm keeping the window the same size so that there's more for others to be blessed with. But see, when we get brought low, when we get brought low, when we look at the lowly beginnings of our grandparents, when we look at the lowly beginnings of the people that came before us, we look at that with some disdain sometimes. And it was like, no, like now I want to abound. But the problem is, by the time your grandparents passed away, they were abounding. You just didn't know because they still lived low. They didn't need a bigger house. They didn't need a newer car. And I learned that from my grandmother. My grandmother, is, my grandmother immigrated to the U.S. from Jamaica um, she had an eighth grade education. She was illiterate. She couldn't read. She could barely speak English because she spoke Patois. But like my grandmother like worked so hard like through her entire life and then she was retiring and me and my Uncle Robert, my Uncle Robert was like, you know, I just did grandma's taxes and she makes over six figures. And she had the same car, had the same little house. And we were like, grandma, like we ain't know you, you know, she was like, we didn't know you was balling. Like, and she was like, she said, just because I have more money, why would I spend it? And it was almost like she looked at us like we had two heads. She was like, what? Like, what difference does it make? She's like, my car is fine. My house is fine. And she was like, but what she said threw me off because this is a, this is a mentality about legacy. She was like, I'm saving all of that money for y'all. Like, why, why would I spend it? I'm saving it for your kids and for your kids' kids. But it was just a difference in mentality, right? Because I grew up where when you, when you got money, you got new sneakers. When you, when you got money, you bought a new car. When you got a promotion, you got a bigger house. Like there was always this progression that the more that you began to abound, the more that you raised your standard of what low was. Right? Like everybody said they started from the bottom, but like, like sometimes the bottom is so far from where you are that when you go below where you're at now, which you used to consider to be abounding, now you upset. Now you sad. Now you struggling because we live in a culture of comparison. Right? Like one of the most interesting things I've ever witnessed in regards to this thought level when it comes to mindfulness is that you'll see a person and, you know, everyone knows Cares Ministry here. We do a lot of the outreach. We, me and my family, we've been doing homeless outreach for like the last seven years. But it's crazy to me to see somebody experiencing homelessness who will go out of their way with the little things you're trying to give them to make sure that they meet somebody else's need. Like, when I learned that they have communities and they have their own deputies who actually, who settle legal disputes in their community, because like if someone stole from you, 
Because, you know, everyone doesn't have much. So it's almost like they had their own Ten Commandments. Like, you don't steal from another person. If it is, like, it got reconciled. And they were like, not only are we going to take back what you stole, we're going to take other stuff that you have and give it to them because you stole from them. But if you were giving away clothes, you would see somebody looking through sizes. And then what they would do is the person who couldn't walk, they would run over to that person and be like, can you fit this? They don't have anything. But they're being mindful of other people. See, like, and then on the other hand, like, I've spent years, over 11 years now, traveling all over the world, all over the country, and I've seen the significant level of selfishness and privilege and entitlement that people who have much tend to show. Like, the level of indignation someone has when you ask them to change the seat. The level of frustration that people can get because an older woman who's 4'11", can't get a suitcase into the overhead and is backing up a line, right? Like, and it's normal, and I, and I, and I don't want to typecast, but normally the people in first class are the worst. And I sit up there sometimes, right? But it's I'm just like, what is wrong with y'all? Like, get up, just like help them. But it's like, no, like take this plane off. I need to get where I'm going immediately and you're slowing down the process, right? Like, we've built bigger houses but made less room for others. Right? Our, our grandmother had three generations of children under one roof in a 1,200-square-foot home. You got a 2,800 or 3,000-square-foot home with four people in it. And if somebody asked to come stay, you'd be like, I'm sorry, baby, we ain't got no space. Right? We have, we have more tangibly than any other generation in history, but we still don't feel blessed. We are constantly comparing ourselves to what we see that others have, so we feel lacking and unsatisfied. So I want to talk about three things we need to focus on to help us affirm our foundations and to be in a position mentally, spiritually, and physically to receive new blessings. And those th three things I want to discuss are, number one, what's in your hand? Number two, what's in your wallet slash purse? Number three, what's in your mind? What's in your hand? I'm going to go to Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. And Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone des desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is a man to, if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? See, I don't want to overcomplicate this, so, so let me make it plain. You can't take up a cross if your hands are full. I've had this conversation before, especially over the last four years with everything that happened with George Floyd, like the rise in domestic terrorism and nationalism. And I've you know, spent a lot of time in, in majority um, in majority spaces, especially majority white spaces. And, and I've told some people sometimes, I'm like, you seem to be overly obsessed with the flag. How can you pick up the cross when you won't put your flag down? Right? Like, and I told somebody one time, I said, if a cross was on fire and a flag was on fire, I guarantee you would try to put the flag out first. What's in your hands? What's in your hands, right? What stuff are you juggling, right? What do we, what do we keep 
attached to? What do we keep connected to that keeps us busy? What won't you let go of? What are you hoarding emotionally and physically? What's in your hands that is stopping you today from picking up your cross and choosing to deny yourself, choosing to deny whatever identity the world wants to label you with today? Right, because that's the crisis that we're in. Like, we're, we're supposed to be Christians, but they want us to identify as everything else. My, me, when I was getting ready this morning, my wife just happened to cut on the news, and there was a lady on there, and it was, she was from New York, and she was talking about how when she was younger, before Title IX, she couldn't run. And it literally, she was like, I found my identity in running. And I was like, what? Now, now running is an identity? Like, Everything is an identity. Like, we're supposed to find our identity in Christ. And sometimes that's even hard for us because you got to be more Christian than you are black. Because the world keeps telling me that my identity should be in my blackness. The world keeps telling me that my identity should be in my oppression and my reflection on systemic problems. Like, the world keeps telling me it should be in the toxicity of, of white privilege and all of this other stuff. No, my identity is in Christ. It doesn't make anything else less true but that is not my identity, right? Because that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get us to hold on to an identity. If I'm holding on to an identity, I cannot pick up a cross, right? Are you holding on to what's normal? Are you holding on to tradition? Are you holding on to your dream above his will? So if you want to say it with me again, closed hands can't receive New blessings. So then the, then the second point is, what's in your wallet? Right? What's that? It's one of those commercials, like Progressive or something. It's like, what's in your, no, Capital One. What's in your wallet? See, but if we go to Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, and, and Bishop talked about this a little while. It said, now as he was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Loved him. And said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. See, a lot of times this scripture is used to talk about the evils of wealth, right? And then we follow up with the, you know, it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven as a camel to move through the eye of a needle, right? We, we go down that. But, but again, I want to, to kind of shift it a little bit to offer another perspective. See, many people read this scripture and they miss what Jesus said because we add words that are not there. See, a lot of times we read this scripture and it sounds like Jesus said, take all you have and give it to the poor. It's not what Jesus said. It also sounds like, you know, people, and I've heard people say it this way, like Jesus said, sell all you have and give that money to the poor. That's not what it says, right? We got we to pay attention to what it says. It's, he said, sell whatever you have 
and give to the poor. He didn't say sell it and give it all away. He said sell what you have and then give to the poor. See, God was giving him a new profession. And he didn't want to let go of being a ruler. See, because wealth in this time culturally was, was, was measured by land and servants and cattle and sheep and vineyards. So this wasn't just about a bank account. Like this young ruler had an enterprise, right? Like he had an entire business structure that reported to him. So, and it's funny reading this now as somebody, I'm not rich, right? But I, but I am a ruler, right? Like reading this in a different perspective, I'm like, oh, like, I see what it was, because this man had a lot of control, like he was the CEO. And what Jesus told this young CEO was sell all your stock and go become a philanthropist. And he walked away very sorrowful. The stock market was down. I'm not doing that right now. It's not a good time to sell. But what he was really afraid of was the control. Like, why do a lot of CEOs not want to take their successful private companies public? Just had this conversation at my company on a, on a conference call on Friday. Because when you are a publicly traded company, you lose a lot of your control. Right? Because another word for possession, possession can be defined as the state of controlling something. Right? So he walked away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He walked away sad because he had a lot of control. And Jesus didn't ask him to become poor. Jesus asked him to sell what he owned, turn over your control, and just give to the poor. Because you think about it, this, you know, we think about it in our own context. He didn't have world vision. He didn't have feed the children. He didn't have any organization he could just turn around and give millions of dollars to. He literally would have had to walk around Israel, walk around Philippi, walk around Ephesus, and literally give to the poor. It, there, was no, there was no PayPal. There was no cash app. There were no websites. Like, he literally, like, that, like, for him to do that, it would have had to become his entire life. Jesus said, turn over your enterprise, cash in your stock, and go give to the poor. And he walked away sorrowful. Jesus didn't say go live in squalor. Jesus didn't say go live in poverty. He said sell your possessions. He didn't tell, like, he didn't tell him to go be poor. But that's how we read that a lot of times. He, no, he didn't tell him to sell his stuff and become poor. He said liquefy your assets and give to the poor. See, he was sad because God had asked him to give up control and asked him to step out of his executive role and become, and become a philanthropist. The third point is, what's in your mind? <clears throat> Proverbs 23, um, verse 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. What is in our mind? What are we holding on to? Like, are we holding on to what people call a poverty mindset. And again, Paul said, I know how to be low and I know how to abound. That means you have to be able to have some duality in the way that you think. It can't just be I'm broke and that's all I'm ever gonna be. That's the wrong kind of mindset. Like, 
Are you holding on to trauma? Like, I'm a, I'm a victim and that's all I can ever be. Are you holding on to resentment? Like, I hate those people. They did me wrong and that's how I'm always going to feel. Are you holding on to anger? Are you holding on to doubt that was spoken into your life? Are you holding on to the limitations that you spoke over yourself? See, God gives us free will so we can clearly be standing in the land of milk and honey, but allowing the limitations in our mind to prevent us from taking hold of what God has already set aside for us. See, I know that I said closed hands can't receive new blessings, but I want to add that a closed mind renders empty hands useless. See, no one can give you the job you feel underqualified for when you never bother to submit the application. And that's prevalent, prevalent in the black community. If it's 10, if it's 10 job requirements and we don't hit all 10, we don't apply. Like, you can look up the research. If I'm white, I could hit four out of 12. I'm like, let me roll the dice. And they'll get the job. It'll be a director that'll become a CFO somewhere. Like, it's, it's crazy when I see, like, and, you know, and I've, I've been doing interviews. I've been hiring hundreds of people for years. And sometimes I look, I'll be like, this person has some audacity. But it's never us. It's never us, right? Because we have limited ourselves in our own mind to say, you know what? No, I might not have that degree. No, I might not have 10 years, but I got five years. I got God on my side, and I think if I get in that interview, I can show them that I'm the person for that job. We don't get in the room because we don't bother to apply. Because closed hands can't receive new blessings, right? Like, God can't bless the ministry or the vision that he placed on, placed on your heart because you decided in your mind that you are not worthy, that you don't have that skill set, that you can't, you can't do all that work. See, because closed hands can't receive new blessings and closed minds aren't open to God's testing, to God's stretching, to, to his expansion. What are we limiting ourselves with? Right, like, I, you know, I, I love the way that God functions because somebody, we were talking in our, in our house the other day and we were, you know, I see people share things like, oh, I, I bought my dream car and I got my dream home and I got my dream job. I'm like, I've bought a lot of cars, like I've built two homes from the ground and none of them have ever been dreams. Because they, they were practical, like we have this many people in our house, we need this much space, we have a classroom, I need an office, like put it there. But it was never a dream, but it was because... Growing up for me, surviving was a dream. Like living to be 16 was a dream. Because I went to three funerals for people under the age of 14 before I turned 10. There's something different about seeing caskets that have cartoon characters on them. That changes your outlook of where life can go. Because I'm just trying to go past here. Right, but, but at the same time, when I, got, when I got saved, I didn't have a lot of the, the typical things that people had a desire for. I didn't have a desire for a family. I didn't have a desire for a certain kind of job. Like, so I really was kind of just blank at that point, and I was like, Jesus, was, what are we doing? And then I just kept walking, and then every time he exceeds my expectation, I have on a shirt right now that says God is undefeated, because we talk about things in our house, and it's like, the beauty of the way that God crafts things, the way that he coordinates things. And I'm like, I couldn't have prayed for that because I'm not that creative. 
Like I'm not. Like I'm 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 not that. I'm not that. I'm not. You know, I, I can write. I can do poetry. I can write music. Like, but I'm like I'm not that creative. Like he is so much better at this than I am. So I have this. You know, my best friend is a film director, and I and I helped him with a couple of his movies and producing them and all of this other stuff and being on set. So I came up this thing. I was like, you know what? I'm just trying to make sure that I'm not out of character. Right? So like God's writing the script. I just don't want to act out of character. So like let me just stay in character. <laughs> let me keep reading my Bible, figure out the background. Let me figure out the bio for what I'm supposed to. Let me stay in character, and I'm going to let God write the rest of this movie because he is so much better at it than I am. And as we come to, as I, as I come to close and I start to wrap things up, there's just a couple of things I want us to ask ourselves. And one of those things is, are you truly open? Are you open? Are you open to being transformed? Are you open to being free? Or have you gotten used to being oppressed? You've got comfortable being the victim. Are you open to victory? Right, I know a couple times from this space and another, like we've talked about like our journey of what brought us to North Carolina. I didn't want to come to North Carolina. And even when we picked North Carolina, I was, I was telling, we were telling our friends last night, I was like, what, Charlotte or Raleigh? And then when God was like, you know, but I'm open, you know, I'm not complaining, Jesus. You know, I'm open, he's like, Greensboro, I'm like, uh. It's not near the water. It's not really a big city that don't seem like, but right, but it's being open. And it's like, all right, because I could have, like, I could have been like, no, like, I want to be by the beach. And it would, nothing would have stopped me. God's blessed me whatever I need to go live wherever I want. My job lets me live wherever I want. I could have gone anywhere if I had narrowed my focus to what I wanted. But I was open. And I said, God, there's some stuff that I want, but what you want overrides it. Are we, are we open? Or are we like some of those storefronts that look like they're in business on the outside, but inside, you closed. You got the sign. You even got the, the lit up sign that says I'm open. But if I would go to the door, if I try, if I try to pull the door, it's locked. Ain't no one inside is producing anything. It might like, you know, I love Jamaican food. There's a restaurant in Burlington, and I, I was like, oh, that's awesome. I looked it up on Google. They were open. I walked to the door and was closed. I look inside. I'm like, it don't look like anyone's been in here in a while, but the sign still said open. Like, you've been closed. So a lot of us want to want to perceive that we're open. It, we we want to have that. We got that sign that's flipped that's saying we're open, but in reality, the doors are locked. And we don't really want to do anything different. We don't really want to do anything new. We don't really want to be challenged. We don't really want to be uncomfortable. We don't really want to get pushed out of our comfort zone. We don't want to step into something new. So we're like, yeah, like, I'm open. I'm open. Or we got that typical Christian response. Um, I, I, let me pray about it. That's the holy I'm closed. That's the holy I'm closed. Right? It was like, yeah, let me, let me pray about it. While they, while they, they slowly locking the door on you like, like you would tell them, you know, like you're somebody soliciting at their door. Like, yeah, let me click. Not going that way. Right? Like, are your hands open? Are your hands open? Are you letting go of what's holding you back? 
Are you letting go of, of your last success so God can move you on to the next one? Is your mind open? Because sometimes we get stuck in the last season. Sometimes we get stuck in the last vision. Sometimes we get stuck in the last yes. Sometimes we get stuck in the last successful thing that we did. And we're like, there's no way that God can do more than that. Like, that, that, was, the, that was the top. Like, that was the limit. And I've had this conversation with God before. Because God has taken me places I never imagined he would take me. And I'm like, God, that's got to be it. And I told my wife, God audibly laughs at me. He's like, are you serious? He's like, no, that's, that's not it. And I'm like, all right, well, uh, let, me, let me keep my horizons open. Because I'm like, you, like, this is enough, God. Like, we, we abounding and we, we staying low. But it's, but right, it's like when you're open, but like, are we truly open? See, because some people may be listening and you might be thinking to yourself that like, I want to be open. Right, like, I want to be changed, but... The reality is the only reason I'm open because I have something inside of me, right? I've got the Spirit of God inside of me that keeps telling me the truth, even when I want to lie to myself, even when other people lie to me. People lie to you in the name of God. People lie to you right from a pulpit. People lie to you from anywhere, but there, there has to be something inside of you. That's the beauty of having the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God inside of you so that when you hear him say yes, when you hear him say go, when you hear him say move, when you hear him say do, you respond, you obey, and you do it. Whether you want it to do it or not, whether you are open to it or not, it doesn't matter. And because he will continue to knock, but the beauty of, right, and maybe the beauty and the curse of free will is he not going to kick the door down. He'll keep. You want to go left? You want to go left? And you can just be like, no, nah, I don't think that was Jesus. That ain't nothing but the devil. Right? That's what we, when it's something we don't want to do, Christians just be like, that ain't nothing but the devil. I ain't listening to that. Tell me to move to, to Washington. I don't even like cold weather. And we just, we come up with all the rational reasons. We don't want to do something that seems irrational. But you know what? Normally, that's when God is speaking to you because God is smarter than you. He's more creative than you, and he knows what he can do through you. But we're limiting ourselves. If you would have told me I was going to be a pastor and I was going to be preaching, I would have laughed in your face. I still laugh at myself occasionally now. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you, why are you here? But it's because he told me to. He told me to. Not because I wanted to. It's not because he told me to, so I obeyed. And it's uncomfortable. It feels weird. I feel out of place. But there's something inside of me that's saying, yeah, keep going. Even though sometimes you want to walk away. Sometimes you want to go do something different. You want to go be more comfortable. Like, no, like, I need you to stay here and I'll comfort you. Right, like that, that we, we talk about that. It's not just comfort when we're in pain. It's not just comfort when we're hungry. Like, it's also comfort because God knows that stepping out on faith means I'm asking you to walk off of a cliff and you don't know whether or not you're going to drop or if I'm going to catch you. And the spirit of God inside of you will just keep you comfortable. You're like, I should feel uneasy right now. I should feel off balance right now. But for some reason, I don't. And that reason is Jesus. That reason is the spirit of God that we have inside of us. So for anybody who's watching right now, for anybody who's in the building right now, like if you don't know 
that presence, if you don't know that feeling, if you don't know that conviction, if you don't know that comfort that is the Spirit of God inside of you, then I would pray for you to get connected with our, our ministers. I would pray for you to drop something in the chat so that they could connect with you during our announcements. Um, and even now, they've placed on the screen, you can text uh, WVICC Connect to 94000, and somebody will reach out to you. Somebody will pray for you. Somebody will connect with you and to show you what it looks like to walk with God, to show you what it feels like to just have a mind open to the miraculous things that God can do. So I thank you for joining us on this morning. I pray that you have received something from God and whatever that is, um, that you take that and that you move forward with action and that we don't continue to be closed to God. Because there are so many things that he wants to do in your life. There's so many things he wants to do through you. There's so many things he wants to transform. And all he needs is your yes. They're already there. The healing is there. The provision is there. The comfort is there. The opportunities are there. The doors are there. All he needs you to do is say yes. All he needs you to do is obey. Somebody, somebody pray for me Whether I seem like I'm well or a mess